2: Listener discretion is advised. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. This is Episode 10, The Next Chapter. My name is Graeme Crowley. Thank you for listening. Welcome to The Next Chapter. I'm pleased to be able to tell you that the website greataustralianpods.com listed Loose Ends as one of the top 100 Australian podcasts for 2021 for which I am very proud and I have you, the listening community, to thank for that. I truly appreciate your support. The Australian newspaper ran an article on the Sing case published on Saturday 1 January 2022. You can find that article on the Facebook page Loose Ends. I also posted a Courier Mail article from January 2021, I found, regarding the petition that was lodged in 2019. A retired Queensland policeman wrote to me regarding episode 9, as well as a listener from Idaho, USA, commented on episode 6.
3: Your last episode the petition was so interesting, and really, I am confused with the footprints. I am thinking a conspiracy, but surely not, or very sloppy investigators. Great work and I agree that this is not finished by a long shot. Love listening to how it unfolded and I agree the defense barrister did not do his homework and missed opportunities. Just a thought as I am listening to episode 6. Could the record of water usage be checked? I would assume there would be a huge spike in water usage if the water in the tub was running continuously and they could determine when the water usage increased if it was 1 day or 2 days prior. Also, it was hot in the bathroom, how long could the water heater possibly maintain hot water running into the tub? Wouldn't it go cold after a certain amount of time? Thanks, great podcast.
2: Thanks for the feedback guys, appreciate it. In reply to Amber from Idaho, USA, I can say Queensland Police spent weeks, if not months, investigating the spa bath, including the water usage and the spa water temperature. The results were inconclusive. No evidence of these matters was given at trial. I have read the police reports of what they were trying to replicate and the results. I have seen the data covering water, electricity used. There were just so many variables. Whilst electricity and water meters were read within days of the murders, it was months before the previous readings. I personally was suspicious, and still am, about the temperature in the bathroom and of the water in the tub. I do not believe the bathroom would remain warm and the spa water be at 32 degrees after almost two days. It is just another one of the many frustrations with this case. I promised I would update you as soon as there was some resolution to the legal action I told you about in episode 9. In April 2019, a petition for pardon was delivered to the Queensland Governor. That was referred to the Attorney General. The Attorney General decided not to recommend a pardon and refused to refer the matter to the court of appeal that decision by the queensland attorney general enabled solicitor jeff johnson to apply to the supreme court to have the attorney general's decision judicially reviewed in response the crown filed an application to strike out jeff johnson's application the crown application was heard first the decision was handed down by the supreme court on 28 november 2021, the court found in favour of the Queensland Attorney General. At this stage, Max Seeker's solicitor is not taking any further legal action in relation to that application for reasons you will hear shortly. Following that most recent court ruling, the legal position of someone who has exhausted the legal process is now interesting, actually, very interesting. In simplistic terms, it is as follows. Imagine for a moment a person who has been convicted of a crime and an appeal against the conviction has been dismissed. Just like Max Seeker. Now, in the eyes of the defendant and his solicitors, after the appeal process has been concluded, exciting new evidence comes to light that casts doubt on the conviction. Previously, solicitors would petition the governor and the matter eventually ended up back in the Court of Appeal. The Appeal Court would consider the exciting new evidence and make one of several decisions, including refuse the appeal and the conviction stands, quash the conviction and enter a verdict of not guilty, or quash the conviction and order a new trial. The current situation now is that if the Attorney General in Queensland decides there is no merit in referring the matter to the Court of Appeal, that is the end of the matter. And that is where the Seeker case is at. His solicitors believe there is significant new evidence. The Attorney General does not. The Attorney General has taken on the role of the Court of Appeal judges. Effectively, the appeals process has been dispensed with. In the matter of a high-profile case, such as the Seeker case, other issues come into play. Matters that well may influence an Attorney General other than evidence, to refuse to refer a matter to the Court of Appeal. Examples would include the enormous cost of the original trial and a reluctance by government to have to revisit the whole matter. Perhaps evidence may come to light that would reflect poorly on the government or the police, evidence that may cause embarrassment, matters that the government opposition could seize and make political mileage from. As I said, an interesting situation. In the interim, Max Seeker's solicitor has decided to lodge another petition for pardon with the governor, starting the whole appeal process over again. This petition relates specifically to the unheard evidence of neighbour Lisa L. You may recall, police were told Lisa L had information relevant to the case. Well, actually, relevant to the offence case. Police decided not to interview Lisa L because her evidence did not assist the Crown case. In case you are in any doubt about that comment, you may recall I previously reported that a detective was instructed to interview Lisa L. in 2004 about her knowledge of the matter. The detective did not interview Lisa L. In finalising the job log instructing him to conduct the interview, the detective wrote,
3: no information has come to light before or since this job log was created to suggest that Lisa L. is pertinent to the prosecution brief or can assist with this investigation. This job log can be filed at this time. The Major Incident Room Coordinator concurs with this decision.
2: The jury never heard the evidence of Lisa L. Neither did the prosecution nor defence team. In lodging this appeal for a pardon, Max Seeker's solicitor, is relying on a very recent Queensland Court of Appeal decision from July 2020. In the case of Crown versus Kenneth Ralph Ernst, Ernst, a retired deputy school principal from Queensland's Sunshine Coast, was convicted in 2019 of historical sex charges, including indecent treatment and indecent assault of a girl aged 13. Mr Ernst appealed his conviction In the appeal, it was heard that a witness contacted police and told them she had evidence relating to the case. Well, actually relevant to the defence case. The police officer decided not to take a statement and did not tell the DPP. In turn, the defence were not made aware. The jury did not hear the witness's evidence. Sound familiar? The Court of Appeal found there had been a miscarriage of justice because the police ignored evidence relevant to the case. The court quashed the conviction and ordered a new trial. One of the catchwords in the decision stood out.
3: Where there is evidence led on this appeal that the police officer's attention was only upon facts that might assist with the prosecution case.
2: I am not a lawyer and do not profess to be one, but that sounds like a slam dunk to me. I'll follow the progress of the latest petition with interest and report in due course. You can find the link to the full decision on the Ernst case on the Loose End's Facebook page. And in case you are wondering what happened to Kenneth Ralph Ernst, he went back to trial and was found not guilty on all charges by the jury. The witness the police officer refused to take a statement from gave evidence. As well, in the meantime, further evidence discrediting the plaintiff Came to light. Based on the Ernst case alone, Seeker would expect to receive a retrial, in my opinion. Not that the Queensland Government will let that happen without a fight. The last thing the Queensland Government want, and the Queensland Police also, is a retrial of this case. It would also be devastating for the victim's family, but I believe they need to know the truth, whatever that is. I am not sure we have heard it up to this time. I need to correct a previous comment I made in the podcast. You may recall I mentioned three separate and distinct scum lines were observed in the spa bath. Police made no comment as to how or when those lines were formed. I suggested it may have been when the bodies were placed in the spa. I should have also added that perhaps the scum lines occurred when the bodies were removed from the spa. I do not know the answer either way. My bad. Apologies for possible misinformation. It was not intentional. Perhaps the most common question I am asked is my opinion as to whether Max Seeker is guilty or innocent of the murders. And my position is complicated, but I'll explain why. Based on my research of the evidence presented at trial, I form the opinion Max Seeker probably killed the children. I can understand how the jury reached their guilty verdict on all charges. When I discuss the circumstances of the case with people, the evidence, the personalities involved, the alternatives, the timeline, it is a logical conclusion. And if Max Seeker was not the killer, then who? It clearly was not a random killing. The evidence indicated the victims were targeted. Vijay Singh was investigated as a killer and eliminated by police. He was out of the country at the time, in Fiji. Some say Vijay Singh was angry with Nilma over the nude photos of her that Max emailed to more than 50 people. Very angry. He was shamed in front of family, friends, relatives and the Fijian Indian community. He did have a history of violence towards women and his family. He told Max Seeker he would get him. Arranging a contracted killing from Fiji is not impossible but it is certainly extreme given they were his children after all. It is a quantum leap to say someone will murder their children over nude photos and it doesn't explain the murders of Canal or City other than collateral damage. An alternative theory investigated and eliminated was that the killers were looking for Vijay Singh and found his children instead. Again, it is a quantum leap to murder children instead of the intended victim. And what about Joe Cool? He certainly had a motive of revenge against Max Seeker and perhaps even against Neil Missing. He missed out on a $10 million windfall from the kidnapping he had meticulously planned. As well, he was given a five-year prison sentence and had to serve the remainder of his previous nine-year prison sentence. A prison sentence he was desperate to avoid. He offered to wear a wire and try and extract a confession from Max Seeker. He offered to give evidence against Max Seeker at Seeker's trial. Joe Cool knew where and when to find Max Seeker, but he was in prison at the time of the murders. And yes, he had previously plotted a murder of an accomplice whilst in prison in the Solomon Islands. Queensland police never investigated any possible involvement of Joe Cool in the murders because they were not aware of his violent past in the Solomon Islands. So what is my position now? I don't know if Max Seeker murdered the children or not. A lot of evidence has come to light since the trial which throws doubt on Max Seeker being the killer. The time of death has many question marks hanging over it. Was Max Seeker home on the Easter Sunday night? I think there is strong evidence to suggest that he was. Did he arrive at the House at 2pm or 2.20pm on the Tuesday? I think there is compelling evidence that he did go to Stafford Shopping Centre on the way to the Singh House, which means he would not have and could not have arrived around 2pm. These matters do not mean he did not commit the murders. They just throw the timeline, as presented by the Crown, out the window. And I ask myself regularly, because Queensland Police were so focused on Max Seeker, Did they properly investigate the murders and completely eliminate all persons of interest? Perhaps we will never know. If Max Seeker does receive a retrial, it will be significantly different to the trial of 2012. A lot of the evidence presented at that trial would not see the light of day at another trial. I personally find it hard to believe a jury in a new trial would be convinced of Seeker's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And my summation of the Crown case as it currently stands in 2022, a weak circumstantial case. Max Seeker at the time certainly had the capacity to commit the murders. He was manipulative and possessive and although no history of violence towards women, perhaps had a motive. There were no witnesses, no forensic or scientific evidence connecting Max Seeker, his clothing, his vehicles or his home to the murders. No admissions, unless you call a very sketchy confession to a friend an admission. A very confusing, ever-moving time of death. In 2006, the police were of the opinion the bodies had been in the spa 12 hours. In 2008, this had changed to between 36 and 42 hours, with no scientific evidence to support that change, which coincidentally was the only window available For Seeker to commit the murders. A window that is now doubtful by the evidence that was known at the time but ignored. Too many inconsistencies, too many loose ends. Max Seeker is the antithesis of everything that I am and everything that I stand for. But I feel compelled to tell this story. There is something off about it. So, enough of that. These were such brutal murders and so many weird things turned up during the police investigation and during my own investigations. Take the Joe Cool and Solomon Islands connection, for instance. And what about the results the Bond University team obtained when they reviewed the footprint evidence? The jury tampering. And now an issue with the contents of Neelma's phone, as you will hear in episode 11. As a journalist said to me, the whole thing is just so crazy. And here is another example of how weird this whole saga was. I was stunned when I found out how Vijay Singh and Shirley Singh discovered their children had been murdered. I actually have not been able to stop thinking about it. It was not raised at trial, as it was not relevant to whether Max Seeker was the killer. And Queensland police certainly did not dwell on the matter. At all. And it is so sad and tragic and bizarre at the same time. It started the night the bodies were found. By 6pm Brisbane time on Tuesday 22 April 2003, the story of the murders was headline news on Brisbane television stations. But information on the murders was incomplete, limited, inaccurate. Journalists were scrambling for the scoop, as you could understand. It was then 8pm Fiji time. Members of the Singh family, including Sonia Pathik and members of the Dutta family, were at the murder house and had been there from about 4.30pm. From there, they went to Petrie Police Station to provide statements, and were there for hours. But no one from the immediate family, or extended family, called the Sings in Fiji to break the terrible news to them. Unfortunately, I have not been able to determine why that did not happen. Wouldn't that be the first phone call any member of the family would make, to tell the parents their children had been murdered? It was certainly the first phone call Max Seeker made to his family. This is what Shirley said in her later police statement. These are her words, but not her voice.
0: Later that night, I was talking on the telephone with my niece. An operator interrupted and said we had an emergency call from Australia. I took the call, which was from my daughter, Janice. She was in Brisbane on holidays at the time. She told me she recognised our house on the news, but only got the last part of the story. I then started ringing Australia. I couldn't get in touch with Archana. Vijay was talking to my cousins in Brisbane, trying to find out more about what had happened. I then rang a telephone number which is similar to our number. I thought it would be the number of someone who lived close to us. I rang this number and a lady answered. I told her who I was and said I had been told there had been a shooting at my house and that my three children had been found dead. She said it was true. She said she was sorry to say, but said that's what the news had said. I couldn't believe it.
2: Shirley's statement was actually contradicted by both her daughter and the Bridgeman Downs neighbour, she called. Shirley's daughter provided police with a statement on that same Tuesday night the bodies were found. Janish stated she had been called by her uncle who had seen the Singh house on TV at around 6.50pm Brisbane time or 8.50pm Fiji time. Janish immediately called the Bridgeman Downs landline for her mother but it went to message bank. She did not leave a message. She then called the police. She did not call Fiji. In fact she only became aware her mother was in Fiji A few days before. Janish had arranged with Shirley some two weeks prior to visit her and had travelled from Sydney to Brisbane on Saturday 19 April 2003 only to find Shirley had left the country. The neighbour that Shirley Singh called also provided police with a statement. These are her words but not her voice.
3: On Tuesday, the 22nd of April, 2003, at approximately 8.30pm, I received a phone call on my number at home from a female person who identified herself as Shirley Singh. This person said she was phoning from Fiji, but she lived at 20 Grass Tree Close, Bridgman Downs. She said she was phoning people with telephone numbers close to hers to ascertain if they knew what was happening at her residence. I told her I did not know, but I could see police cars and police at her house, and it appeared to be a police investigation. She left her name, address, and phone number for me to contact her if I found out anything.
2: How confusing and very sad. I have often wondered why no member of the Singh family called Shirley or BJ and broke the news to them, and why Shirley did not ring her family members in Brisbane, perhaps Sonia, Kevin or one of the many Dutters, or Max Seeker, or the Queensland Police. I have read Queensland Police contacted the Sings the following day to inform them of the murders. It does go to show the old adage, bad news travels fast, is true. That's it for the next chapter. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Please join me again in episode 11, Max Speaks. I discuss a curious matter regarding the contents of Neilma's phone. Whilst watching a VHS recording of police examining the contents of her phone in 2003, I saw two messages in the phone memory which immediately raised my suspicions. The police made no comment regarding them and skimmed over them. A media interview with Max Seeker from 2003, conducted not long after the murders, has surfaced. The interview is unedited and contains never-seen-before footage. It gives an insight into the person, Max Seeker. I also talk about numerous SMS messages between Nilma and Max in the weeks leading up to the murders. SMS messages you will get to hear. I hope you join me. I have a question. Do you, my listeners, have an opinion on the guilt or innocence of Max Seeker? I would love to hear from you, with your reasons for your belief. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the podcast, recommend it to others. If you have questions, information or feedback, you can contact me via the following. The Facebook page is Loose Ends, the Singh Family Tragedy. My email address is looseends two thousand three at Outlook.com. This podcast was made possible with the grateful assistance of the ACAST Creator Network appreciation to bad Bassam for editing mixing and mastering music before i go by rkvc you will find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode